day is Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, Jesus, later on, Matthew tells us in his biography of Jesus, the gospel, according to Matthew, he tells a parable that is titled, The Unmerciful Servant. And I I want to read that parable to you that Jesus says. It's actually found in Matthew 18, and it starts in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle them, one was brought to him who owed ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, I will pay everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debts. But when the same servant went out and he found his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a very small amount compared to the large amount that he had owed, and he seized him and he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay. But the servant he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. You should not have, you should not have had mercy on your, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger... His master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also your heavenly Father will do every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In some sense, I know if you're like me, you automatically hear a bit of a quid pro quo here. A bit of a a both and, a a giving and a a receiving. That it seems like Jesus is saying here in this beatitude and in this parable that if you're not merciful, I'm coming down on you. I want you to suspend that just for a second. Just take it out of your mind, look at it, say yes, I I believe that, and put it over here. We're going to come back to that. But before we come to that, we need to really talk about what being merciful looks like. What is this word mercy? Sometimes we can conf- confuse the word mercy with the word 
grace. You see, as we saw in that parable, he says, you should have been merciful as I was merciful to you. You won't receive this kind of mercy unless you forgive sins, implying that the forgiveness of sins is what shows mercy. And while that is part of it, it doesn't take all of what mercy is into account. We sometimes look at mercy and say, oh, well, that's God's grace that's poured down on us, and so we should provide grace towards others. But that's a confusion, because mercy is very different than grace. Mercy provides the cure, but grace is the cure. It's mercy that compels to give grace. It's mercy that moves towards somebody to bring about the cure. Philip Alinsky put it this way. He says, the noun mercy always deals with what we see of pain, misery, and distress, the results of sin. But grace always deals with the sin and guilt itself. Mercy extends relief. Grace extends pardon. Mercy offers a cure and heals and helps, but grace cleanses completely and reinstates. So when we come to this word mercy, what we begin to see is it's not dealing with us being made new, that's grace. But it's a recognition that as we've been made new, it's because of God's mercy. See, God sees us in the pain that we are in. He recognizes the sickness that we have. He sees the bondage that has hold of us. And he moves in mercy to give us his grace. So when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, what he's saying is those who are citizens of the kingdom of God, they are those who express and move in mercy to others. They are those who see that they are broken, that they are broken in sin, or they are broken in bondage, or they are broken in health, they are broken in poverty, they are broken in systemic injustice, they are broken, and mercy says, I must go to the broken. And in going to the broken, we bring God's grace to bear because God's grace does not only transform us it transforms them and transforms the world too often we can think of mercy as being um, light or tolerance D.A. Carson says this the word merciful does not describe the ambiguous or shallow virtue of niceness or tolerance but concrete action of love, compassion, sympathetic grace to those who are oppressed and to those who have sinned. Sinclair Ferguson's another pastor that I read a lot, and he says this about it. Mercy is getting down on your hands and knees and doing what you can to restore the dignity to someone whose life has been broken by sin, whether their own or that of someone else's. You see, mercy sees the world for what it is. Broken, hurting, captive. And says, I must come in love and compassion to them. 
Mercy does away with any concept that we might have of the other. Mercy says that we are all in this together, that this world is trying to bring all of us down. And so what my call as a citizen of the kingdom and not a citizen of the world is to step into a place of care and mercy. And it causes us to go into full action mode. We don't just sit back when we see things going wrong. We engage in them. We move towards them. But in order for us to do that, we first must recognize that we received mercy. Oftentimes, we will step back in ourselves and we begin to judge others who are in a bad way. Comparing them to the poor decisions that they may have made versus the good decisions that we have made. And if they had just listened, or they just paid attention, or they just made the right decision, they wouldn't be in that situation. You get what you deserve, you, sow, you reap what you sow. But the kingdom of God is not that way. The kingdom of God says you do reap what you sow, but when you reap it, I will come in and make it bountiful and fruitful and glorious. I won't let it stay that way. I will come in and redeem it. And so we have to step in, not looking at people, judging them by where they're at, but first recognize that we were not judged where we were at. See, because if we were judged where we were at, we would be thrown out of the kingdom. But in God's good grace and mercy, He brings us in through His work. It's hard for us to recognize this. I think sometimes we think of our, uh, if you have begun this walk with Jesus, we think of it as a one-time act. I, I was lost, but now I'm found. Yes, that's true. There is a one-time act that happens. There is a place where the Spirit comes in, convicts you of your sin. You recognize that God is the one who saves you through Christ. You cry out to Him. You receive His grace and mercy. You are regenerated and changed and transformed. You are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you now are different. Yes, one time. But it is a continual growth. A good way to think of it is this. As we continue to walk in our life following after Christ, growing in our knowledge of what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom, it's as if we begin to recognize the holiness and steadfast love of the Father more and more. And it seems like it's going on this upward trajectory, just God's goodness, God's mercy, God's love, God's righteousness, God's holiness. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. At the same time, when we begin to recognize that, we have two tendencies. One is we will begin to see our own falling short of that. We'll begin to see that actually my heart is really turned towards itself a lot. Actually, I really have a hard time thinking of others with compassion and mercy. Actually, I tend to think I need as much toilet paper as I can possibly get and not worry about anybody else's and their toilet paper issues. See, it seems very small and actually very tiny, but what it reveals to us is that our hearts are about us. What's wrong with 150 rolls of toilet paper? Even if I don't use them now, I'm sure I'll use them sometime. 
And they should have thought quicker. They should have been better to go get that toilet paper. You see, we begin to recognize and notice that our own hearts are turned on itself. Our own hearts, what we want, what we want, want our desires. And so mercy becomes impossible for us. But as we begin to recognize that, as we begin to see that, we begin to see a separation from this holy God. And it can send us into a place of despair. We begin to see that as God is getting bigger and bigger in His majesty and goodness and kindness and compassion and love and holiness, I'm getting worse and worse in my selfishness and sin and my bondage and the ability for me to think only of me. And there seems like this enormous gap between us. And what we want to do is self-isolate and not in the good way that we should be doing. We want to get away from everybody because we don't want people to see how wicked we are. It reminds me of Eustace, the dragon, from Voyager of the Dawn Treaders, the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia book. When he recognizes that he's a dragon, but he's a young boy underneath, and he says, and Aslan says to him, tear off the scales. And he says, but it hurts. And he says, tear off the scales. And he continues to tear off the scales and tear off the scales, and it hurts, and it hurts, and it hurts, until finally he tears off all the scales. We've built up layers and layers of protection, of shame on ourselves because we're so afraid that somebody will see how bad we really are underneath it all. Because what we've done is we've allowed the gap of God's goodness and mercy, righteousness, love, to grow beyond our comprehension to see because we think we're so bad. But the beauty of mercy is this, is God sees the gap and he sends Christ and the cross itself becomes larger and larger and larger and larger as we walk and we see that God's Mercy and justice cannot be stopped. You see, as we walk along the separation that we have from God and the desires of our own egos, they increase. But the size of Christ's loving pursuit increases as well. Too often, we are only aware of our own egos and the way that they grow and not the size of Christ and the work that He has done. But to be merciful, we must instead understand our own brokenness and understand that it is already matched and exceeded by the self-revealing, self-sacrificing love of Christ. And in that, we can provide mercy to everybody that we encounter For God says, I came when you were an enemy so that I could save you. So then we, as citizens of the kingdom, have no enemies. We only have those who we can love more deeply. So mercy is a step towards others. Mercy is looking to say, where there is brokenness, how can I bring healing? Where there is loneliness, how can I bring companionship? Where there is hurting, how can I bring relief? What a perfect time for us to be living. What a glorious moment 
for the kingdom of heaven and its citizens to break into the kingdom of the world and say, we live differently. Yes, we're wise. Yes, we're not just going around having love feasts, kissing each other on the cheek. We're separating. But we don't let anybody be lonely in our midst. When we recognize that if we do have to suspend our Sunday morning gathering times, we're not going to just sit back and assume those who can't get out of their house or they have to rely on public transportation are okay. We give them phone calls to make sure they're doing okay. We drop by and see them. Those in our midst that are immunocompromised, we say to them, it's not now a good time for you to go to the shops. What can I go and get you and bring to your house? And just to be safe, I'll leave it on the front porch so that you can come out and get it. And we don't wait for them to call or wait for them to have four or five days of not eating anything because they've not been able to get out. We actively pursue one another in mercy that God has given us. What a glorious time for us to be alive as the kingdom of God, as those citizens that can rest in mercy knowing that we've been saved everything. And so we can give everything to those. So we don't hold off on our hospitality meals on Saturday night. We might have to figure out different ways to provide care for those folks that come on our Saturday night hospitality meal, but we don't say, well, it's too dangerous for us to be around them. No, we step out in mercy and say, it's now the time that all these things that they need will stop. Just think that this meal that we provide, that sometimes is one of the few meals that people receive during the week. If we stop doing it and St. Pat stopped doing theirs and other people stopped doing theirs out of fear of contracting a virus, and yes, we need to be cautious. But if we all stopped, where would they find their food? Where would they be fed? What a glorious time for us to live as citizens of the kingdom of God that we don't let those within our midst or those within our circle of influence live in loneliness or hurt or sickness or want. We move in because God has called us to be merciful. The kingdom of God and its citizens are those who are merciful. Jesus tells another parable about the Good Samaritan. And you probably remember that parable. It's a parable of a man who's walking between places and he gets jumped by robbers and they take everything and beat him and they leave him for dead. And there's a lawyer and there's a priest that walk by and they just ignore him. These men who are supposed to be righteous and good and godly and they walk by. But a Samaritan walks by who shouldn't have anything to do with this Jewish man. And he shows compassion on him. He picks him up. He takes him to an end. He pays for him to be healed and to be cared for and to be rested. And Jesus at the end, he says, who did what's right? Who was more aligned with what God calls us to be? Who was the neighbor? And the man answer, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, so it is with the kingdom of God. So it is with the kingdom of God. Look, those of us who have received mercy, we now have the desire not to cover up anything and not to cover over our own brokenness. When we have received mercy, what it should do for us is to push mercy out from us. Now, 
they will receive mercy. Pick it back up. Let's look at it. In some sense, there's a place where we can think logically about this and go, if we are those who are pursuing mercy, if we are those who are giving mercy, if we are those who are um, practices, practicers of mercy, then around us it will challenge those who are near us. And those who are near us would be able to give us mercy as well. They would see the need that we are providing and they would go, I should meet that need as well. And sometimes when we have a need, they will come into our lives and provide mercy, that physical, active, loving mercy. However, if you're a follower of Christ, you recognize that it often doesn't work that way. Even if you're not a follower of Christ, you recognize that it doesn't work that way. Because in this world, I've been a really nice guy, but I seem to always get beat up and pushed on. I seem to be compassionate towards people, and people just give me a hard time. I seem to be the one who's willing to go the extra mile, but what happens is they ask me to go one more and one more and one more, and by the end of the day, I feel used and abused. So don't tell me the merciful get mercy. Yes. Yes. That's the brokenness of the world that we live in. And what Jesus is speaking against when he says, citizens of the kingdom of heaven do not operate that way. Citizens of the kingdom of God do not walk in that way. Too often, we who follow after Christ have set ourselves up in a cloistered manner, closed off from the world, saying to them, as soon as you get your act together like us, then you can come in. And what it does is it causes antagonism between us. But if we are giving mercy, we recognize that we have received mercy from the Father. And in receiving mercy from the Father, we continue to give out mercy. And whether or not we get mercy back from the world doesn't matter because we've already received mercy from God. You see, our expectations are poor when we think, well, if I'm good, I'll get good. Our expectation should be, as I live for God, God fills me up and pours into me His steadfast love. And sometimes that looks good, and sometimes that looks hard. Sorry, no health and wealth here. Hopefully the gospel that says, in all my brokenness, God has saved me. And because of that, I step into the brokenness of the world. And by stepping into the brokenness of the world, the places that are around me, God brings wholeness. And in bringing wholeness, mercy is then poured back up on me. Because as I walk in the wholeness that Christ has given me and others walk in the wholeness that they have given me, we can't help but be merciful to one another. And how beautiful that is. And then it says, and beyond that, I've already received my due portion overflowing in abundance from God about what mercy is, what I am owed, what I am deserved. I've received much more than I ever could even hold or handle. And so I've got plenty to give to a world or to those who will never respond back with mercy. Because that's not the point. The point is we're merciful, 
because we are citizens of the kingdom. And in that, we receive mercy. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good, and all you do is good. We thank you for your love and your compassion and your pursuit of us. Let us be merciful. Not even so we can receive mercy. We've received it in abundance. But so that we can create around us, both as individuals and as a gathering, as Fremantle Church in Fremantle, a place that brings mercy to bear in the broken world. And then let your grace pour out and bring renewal and resurrection and revival. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand and let's respond in singing.